and uh, Advent week number two. And I, I love I love these Christmas stories, and it just reminds me, even though how difficult uh, sometimes preaching a Christmas sermon uh, is, because you've heard the stories over and over again. You know, how can we bring to light really what's going on in the Word of God and make it relevant and yet exciting for all of us to hear again? And uh, I know for so many, it's it's just so difficult, but. Um, a lady waited until the last minute to send her Christmas cards. She rushed into a store and bought a package of 50 cards without really looking at any of them. She rushed home, signed and addressed 49 of them without really looking at them. On Christmas Day, when things had quieted down somewhat, she found a leftover card and finally thought, well, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to go ahead and read the message that she had sent with the other 49 cards to all of her friends and to her family. And much to her dismay, here's what it read. This card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. (laughs) Here's a new product you might want to consider. The upside-down Christmas tree. The creator says the unique seven-foot pre-lit fur is inverted to ensure a smaller footprint for less spacious areas. And allowing more room for the accumulation of presents underneath. And if you need this beautiful seven-foot tree, you will find this, and it is available at your local Home Depot store and at Donzell's. Please tell me that none of you have that upside-down Christmas tree in your house. We were in Donzell's a couple nights ago, and when I saw that tree, it it, it just takes me by surprise because I look at the thing and I'm like, who would put a tree upside down? First of all, let me ask you another question. Where do you put the star? On the base? I'm all confused. So anyhow, I just thought that was interesting. So Christmas shopping, though fun, can be difficult. Did you hear about the guy that bought his wife a beautiful diamond ring for Christmas? A friend of his said, I thought she wanted one of those sporty four-wheel drive vehicles. He said, she did, he replied, but where am I going to find a fake Jeep? Okay. Advent week number two, amid everything that the Christmas season is in the world around us, concerts and cards and trees and gifts and fake diamonds, I'd like to bring it back this morning to the most important topic of all, and his name is Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus. Let's think about Jesus. Let's remember Jesus. And more importantly, let's just celebrate Jesus. You know, we wait till Christmas Eve, we wait wait till Christmas Day, and then we finally realize that, wait a minute, this whole season was supposed to be about Jesus. See, Advent is a time of preparation, not just for Christmas, but for the coming of Jesus. The celebration of Advent is more than a memory of Jesus' birth. It also is a realization that he is coming again. Isn't that a great thought? That he's coming again. There will be a second advent. So the question is this. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Jesus coming again? We talk about it and we realize that Jesus has come and that he died. And that he has rose from the grave. But yet he's coming back again. And I'm not speaking on the second coming of Christ this morning. But I do want to tell you that when it comes to, you know, uh, realizing what advent is all about. It's anticipating his arrival. How many of us live our lives and we don't anticipate the second coming of Christ? 
We don't anticipate his arrival. What will you be doing? Where will you be? What things are going on in your life that you just don't even realize? When the great, great trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those that remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this Advent season, this Christmas season, come to know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this text. Thank you, Father, for just allowing us to just open up your word. And, Lord, help me this morning to explain it in a different way, but yet the message is still the same. Lord, we love you. And, Lord, we honor you this morning by teaching, preaching, and embracing your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9. If you would please turn your Bible to Isaiah 9. Verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 9, 1 through 5. And you know, we highlighted this text last week, but I'm going to just highlight it today and then we'll move on. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them that hath light, it shone round about them. It shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, and is in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace. We see here the vision of Isaiah for the latter days, days yet in the future. This is not a man-made utopia. It is a God-made thing. Isaiah called the Messiah the prince of peace. What is that brought peace through Jesus? Luke says, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those and with whom he is pleased. So what does it mean that Jesus brings peace? Now turn, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 2. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. We will highlight verse 8. And then we'll continue. Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. Guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid. He said. I bring you good, good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Has been born today in Bethlehem. The city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And because this was a different translation other than the King James Version that I use every week, uh, I just I wanted to, to kind of just highlight some of those things. If you'll notice here, the passage contains the word glory three times. First, the angel appears, and the radiance of the Lord's glory did what? It surrounded them. This conjures up images for us of bright, shining lights surrounding this single angel and shining brightly down, where? Upon the shepherds. We imagine them shielding their eyes while looking up to the sky trying to see who's actually speaking. The Christmas cards and paintings all have the angels flying in the sky. But that is not what the Bible says. It says that the angel appeared among them. Watch closely. Angels in Scripture appear in human form, subject to the same laws of gravity that everyone else is. So I'm pretty sure that even here, even now, God is not up high in the sky and out of reach. Sure, a bright light from the sky would be scary. We would wonder about aliens coming to abduct us. But this description is closer. The angel appeared among them. The actual word there means to stand by. And I love it says, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I'm going to build a platform and then we're going to go right into really expressing the glory of the Lord. What strikes me about this is how close it really is. It contrasts with the, the, with the wise men who follow a strange star high up in the sky. Not really sure where it is leading, so they stop for directions. This appearance to the humble, rough shepherds is far more personable, tangible, close, and surrounding. Here the radiant glory is in your face, and the first reaction is what? Fear. Is quickly dispelled by the angel who tells them he has not come to destroy them. Even though perhaps they were immediately mindful of the many things they had done that they know were wrong. Rather, he's bringing them and brought them good news. There's something here about glory that we need to notice. Here's what it is. It's tangible. It's experiential. It is not off in the distance, so we go searching for it and creep up on it at our own pace and in accordance with our own courage or our own comfort. Instead, we see the glory of God appear suddenly, overwhelmingly, out of nowhere, and we see it reassuringly. And here's what they said. Do not be afraid. You can shut these fans off. It says, do not be afraid. And, it, and as if this one angel was not enough for the shepherd, suddenly he's not alone. And it says there in verse 13, it says a vast host or the armies of heaven. These aren't golden haired flying ladies with shining smiling faces and clean white gowns. These are warriors. It is an army. 
And again, right among the shepherds, right in the middle of them, warriors, surely with swords and bows and arrows and shields and armor. And this massive army is praising God. The specific words used by the angelic army to praise God give us the second occurrence of the word glory. They're saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to them whom God is pleased. Familiar words to us in the story, but what do they mean? What are the angels actually saying and what does that tell us about glory? One of the first things is perhaps, perhaps most apparent. They're excited by what God has done and so are giving God glory. As we will see the shepherds do in a moment. They're saying, this is awesome. Praise God. Glory to God in the highest. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. It is a word to convey great excitement of how amazing God is, how he is full of glory. But notice also the word glory is paralleled by the word peace. Glory to God in the highest is parallel to peace on earth. The glory of God translates to peace, not fear. And this is true for us as well. Experiencing the glory of God does not produce fear. It brings peace. Some people will say this. What did I just see? Some people when they're scared, they say, Oh my glory to God in the highest stand on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. I hope that's what you say. But isn't it amazing? You just scared me to death. But in reality, when they saw the glory of God, It says they were amazed. They were amazed by the presence of God. Sitting last evening, talking with Tiffany's in-laws, and I said, wouldn't people be amazed if they actually experienced a heavenly host? Wouldn't people be amazed if all of a sudden they came across an angel? Wouldn't they be amazed if all of a sudden they started seeing things happening in their life that was just spirit-filled and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost came upon them, the people. I mean, it's amazing. See, and, and I was telling Opal, I said, here's one of the saddest parts for me. We never want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to ever be seen in our lives or be seen at all because we're afraid of it, right? What in the world is going on right now? I've told people, well, I'll tell you the, the story uh, there. I was in Acme, and you guys know the story about the lady that told me. Uh, that lady back there told me you were a pastor. I shared that a couple weeks ago. I said, there was no lady with long black hair in that aisle. And she said, oh, yes, there was. I said, oh, no, there wasn't. Because, as it says in Hebrews, we minister to angels unaware. So I went back, and I just thought I would tell the lady that is a friend of ours that, remember I said I was at a store, then I went to Acme, and then right after Acme, this just happened three weeks ago, right after Acme, I decided to, you know, come to the church, and God, God just started doing some really marvelous, miraculous things, and I went back, and, and as I was telling Andrea, she looked at me, she said, what just happened to you? I said, listen to this story. When the lady looked at me and said, are you a pastor in the middle of Acme, a store I never even go into? I said, Right then, I was astonished and I was amazed. She looked at me. She said, wow, I wish I had a God story like that. 
I said, maybe you do. You've just never realized who's around you. And yet, the angels came and they were singing, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. In a time when there was so much turmoil. In a time where people were just like, it reminds me of today. There's a lot going on in America. There's a lot going on in our workplace. There's a lot going on in our churches. There's a lot going on in our families. Then in the midst of all the struggles, do we really shout, glory? I'm excited. I love hardship. Tom didn't call me this morning and say, Pastor, I just want to say glory to God in the highest. My chest is getting ready to be ripped open. He didn't say that. We only want to give God the praise and the glory when it fits our situation. Hmm. And yet, it says there that the shepherds, the shepherds of Bethlehem, it says there, and you'll notice again, the final use of the word glory is seen after the shepherds go to Bethlehem and meet Jesus. In verse 20, it says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So now we see a reaction to the experience of God, which is to give God glory and praise. People will say to me, Why all of a sudden you always got to shout, Glory! I said, I got that right from this text. You don't want me to go, glory to God in the highest. I love saying glory. I have people, and I love it on Facebook. If I post something, you'll see it in large caps, glory with exclamation points. I'm like, they're getting it. We're giving God praise. This also is true for us when we meet Jesus, when we see the things that God has told us become reality. Our genuine and generous and over, overflowing response to God is one of worship. Giving God glory and praising him. So a couple things. The closeness of his glory and the closeness of Jesus. The thing that sticks out to me as I look at this again is how close everything is in this story. The angels appear right in the middle of the shepherds. The shepherds go right to Jesus' crib. Like I put that out there, the crib. The crib. Undoubtedly, they stroked his cheek, tickled his toes, caressed the soft hair on his head. Maybe they held him close for a few minutes. The experience of the glory of God was not hands off. It was not at a safe distance. It was not part of the normal day-to-day existence for a shepherd. In the time of Jesus, it was extraordinary, yet completely tangible. Completely close. These men experienced the touch of the glory of God and responded by giving God the glory. Let me say that again. These men experienced the touch of the glory of God and responded by giving God the glory. And that is the way it's supposed to be. The movement from the awesome God in the Old Testament, whose glory is terrifying to the God in the manger, whose glory is touched And it is planned. The movement is deliberate, intentional, because God wants us to be close. God wants to be experienced. God wants for us to experience his glory because God knows we will be ever so much better off having experienced it. I'm going to stop right now. The closeness of glory. His Shekinah glory. First of all, I would like to say that biblically and doctrinally, the word Shekinah is not in the scriptures. It's not in any text. 
But I woke up this morning because last night when I went to bed, I kept thinking of the Shekinah glory of God. And I kept thinking about, okay, we talk about the Shekinah glory of God. We talk about the presence of God. We talk about the overwhelming spirit of God. But I don't think we realize that even at the birth of the newborn king, the prince of peace, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, we didn't realize just what was taking place with the Shekinah glory. That was taking place there that day. And so we look at it and we realize. So I I thought to myself. What took place with the Shekinah glory of God? First of all. We realize that the Shekinah glory of God came in a cloud of fire. So there's the the nation of Israel. They're traveling and traveling and traveling. They're wandering and wandering and wandering. What happened? Fire came. They followed the cloud of fire. They followed the glory of God. Moses with the burning bush. All of a sudden it said, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God came out of the burning bush. Here they were, they were in the temple. And it says that as they were in the temple, it says that a great light and fire came down and filled the temple. What would take place if today, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came right down, consumed this place and bam! Light just shone all around us. I think some of us would scream and start to run. But I really do believe with reality here that wherever God is, his peace is there as well. His presence is among us. So what we've got to realize is that when the glory of God starts to show himself in our life and all through scripture. So As I was studying this, I thought, okay, so it manifested itself in the old, and then it manifests itself in the new by what? Father God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And so we see the closeness of glory, and yet we then see the closeness of Jesus. But I love what it says that after that, the glory of God manifested himself in Jesus. Are we getting deep here? So here we go. The point is quite simply this. So point number two, the closeness of Jesus. So one, we went the closeness of his glory. And second, it's the closeness of Jesus. The point is quite simply this. God is close. He is with us. He is with us. He is among us. He is close. And I don't know how many of you here today in the congregation even feel that. If that scares you or excites you or unnerves you, But I want you to know that that is the truth. God is close. In fact, one of those same angels appears to Joseph in a dream. And here's what he said of Jesus. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is not off in the sky somewhere shining a bright light from the heavens. He is not swaddled in a manger halfway across the world. And he is not sitting on the throne. Or on top of some high mountain, God is close and God is here. God is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I'm just going to highlight a couple, couple scriptures. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 verse 9. Colossians 2 verse 9. And what I want you to see is that where we start to see that God the Father starts to manifest himself in and through his Son. Verse 9 says this, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the presence of God. 
And so we go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And it says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better... Than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more ex- excellent name than they. And then, First Timothy six sixteen. First Timothy six sixteen. First Timothy 6.16 says this, Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So we start to notice that even Jesus becomes Emmanuel, God with us. You see, this is the simple message of Christmas, spoken with actions and experience till today. God is is with us. God is with us when the alarm goes off in the morning and we smack the snooze button. God is with us when we roll out of bed and rub the sleep from our eyes. God is with us when we, when we hop in the shower and brush our teeth and put on our clothes. God is with us when we jam some breakfast in our mouths on the way out the door because we are running behind because we hit the snooze button too many times. God is with us through the morning. In the middle of each decision we make, each bit of work we do, each person we encounter, God is with us. God is with us at lunchtime, through the afternoon, on the drive home, as we make supper, as we choose how to spend our evening. As we choose what to look at on the TV or computer screen. And as we relate to family and friends. And even as we turn out the light and put our head Back down on our pillow. God is with us. And he is Emmanuel. And here's a truth you might not like. And I'll say this in closing. It doesn't matter whether or not you feel like God is with you. That emotional response is subject to a whole complicated interacting bunch of miscellaneous pieces of life. And sometimes it is present and it is wonderful, and other times it is absent and we find that difficult. But in the end, it doesn't really matter whether or not you feel like God is with you because that is the fact. God is with us everywhere, always. He's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. That's our God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill toward men. Here's a question I want to ask. Here's a thought for you. Perhaps are we with God? Are we on His side? Are we walking and living and interacting with others and making choices each moment that place us firmly and clearly with God? 
Or are our choices and actions, in fact, demonstrating that we are mostly with ourselves, pursuing our own ideas, our own desires, and our own pleasures, living how we please instead of how God pleases? You see, this morning, the message is close. Because God is close. That he is here always and he offers to us a life that is completely and totally vibrant and alive and exciting and purposeful. One that even in the midst of whatever difficulties arise, we find joys. We find peace and we find the strength. He offers to us a life that is so much more than what we experience when we pursue our kingdoms instead of the kingdom. God is with us. But I really do believe the cost is that we kneel. That we accept the God of eternity in the form of a human baby. A baby boy. Who would grow to be a man who would then die and rise again. The cost is that we recognize that glory is not earthly power or wealth or pleasure. But rather glory is God who became human to die for me and to die for you. I really do believe that when we start to think of the word glory, I want you to think of it as I'm taking all the credit off myself and I'm praising the one who came and died for each and every one of us. He is the Prince of Peace. And I want, probably more importantly than anything, number one, that you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the most important decision you'll make. He came, He died on a cross, paid a price for your sins to give you life, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. Where the crown of thorns were put on his head and his hands were pierced and the sword that went through his side, he didn't do that so he could shout glory. He did that to see you come to him. And then as he died, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And into your hands I commit my spirit. They take him off the cross and they put him in a tomb where there he will lay for three days. They seal it. They stamp it. They put guards around it. But glory! They couldn't keep the Son of God down. For you see, he was the Prince of Peace. And it says he came from a root out of dry ground. But he died a prince. And he died our king to give us life. God is with us. And he's Emmanuel. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants your life. In the second week of Advent, 
in the midst of your hardship and in the midst of your troubles and your trials, God brings you peace. Isn't that just comforting? I forget it, church. There's times I have forgotten just the peace of God that surrounds me. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is here inviting, offering, holding out an incredible gift to each of us. And the gift is himself. What are you going to do with it? You see, Christmas is about Jesus. The season of Advent is about us preparing to meet and welcome and follow Jesus. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for this this text. It's been read and it's it's been highlighted. It's been circled. And yet, God, we forget just how magnificent your glory is. Your presence. Father, thank you for your son who came to Bethlehem and who is the prince of peace. God, I know there might be someone in this room today that has been struggling. Maybe they've been running because they have fear. Lord, may they face their fears and realize that in this difficult time, Lord, that you're here. You're with us. And you're with them. Lord, all they need to do is to cry out to you. And so, God, this morning, if there's someone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, have them walk the aisle. Best decision, best gift they'll ever receive is knowing you as Lord and Savior. You said in your, in your word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for the season of Jesus, of Advent, as we anticipate you coming back to rapture your church. Father, bless us. Use us. And Lord, we realize that you are Emmanuel, God with us. In your name we pray. Amen.